Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. With faith to guide me, an answer and I learned to pray hallelujah giving honor to God who's the head of my life to Pastor Preston and to the leadership of this church to everyone under the sound of my voice I thank God for an opportunity I thank God for an opportunity today to come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ amen amen let's take a moment to pray Father, as we approach the throne of grace, we come to you with our hands lifted, our heads bowed, seeking a word from you today, a word that will help us face difficult times that are ahead, a word that will draw us closer to you. Lord, open our eyes and so that we can see our ears, so that we can hear what thus says the Lord. Speak through me, your oracle today. Now, Lord, have your way. Amen. Hallelujah. Last week, last week our Pastor Preston started off the sermon with a tribute to John Lewis, a civil rights leader who had recently died. And that got me to reflecting on the time that I met Congressman Lewis. It was back in 2013. My son and I had gone to Washington, D.C. for President Obama's second inauguration. The morning of the inauguration, my nephew managed to get us an appointment to meet with Congressman Lewis in his office. Congressman Lewis' tradition was to serve food for his guests, so we ate breakfast in his private study. We were thinking while we were there, we were going to be there for a couple of minutes, maybe to get a handshake and a photo op. But that turned into a two-hour session. John Lewis ended up talking about his life and the life he had spent. He talked a lot about the time that he had spent with Dr. King, showing us pictures of him and other civil rights leaders. He spoke of his time in Congress. He even spoke of his wife who had just recently died, and you can tell that he was still grieving. I was curious about what he thought about President Obama. He told us that he was really impressed with him, that President Obama 
had given him a great deal of respect. He said that President Obama once told him that had he been born earlier, that he'd have been on the front line with John Lewis in the Civil Rights Movement. At his first inauguration in 2009, President Obama even wrote these words on John Lewis' inauguration program. Because of you, John, because of you. As our time with Congressman Lewis came to an end, he did one other gracious thing. He invited us to ride with him to the inauguration. I can't tell you what, how that blew us away, my son and I. I wish I could put into words how we felt. Haven't had the opportunity to sit with a great man, a man that was humble. A man whose sacrifices has made our lives better. A Christian man, John Lewis spoke about God all throughout our conversation with him. I got the sense that he was truly a servant of God. A servant with a pure heart, he wanted to do God's will. He wasn't like so many of our other politicians that were in there for fame and fortune. He was there for the people and he loved doing his job. It was also clear that he looked to God to get him through all the hard times that he had faced. He was born in 1940 in Alabama to parents who were sharecroppers. So he grew up in poverty and in racism. He grew up in an America that says whites over here and blacks are over there. As a young man, he entered into the fight for racism, against racism. He was a brave man because back in those days, if anybody dared speak, they were subject to get killed. I'm sure as he fought against the strongholds of racism in this country, that many times he would ask God to come in and deliver him. A couple times he was almost beaten to death. He was thrown in prison more than 40 times. Several times over the course of our conversation, Mr. Lewis spoke of God and his source of his strength. He spoke of God being real in his life. He spoke of his assurance that one day that he would be joining his wife and so many others that have gone before him that were waiting in heaven for him. A spiritual giant of a man who fought the good fight of faith and made such a difference for so many of us. As we have studied spiritual warfare, I often think about the men and women God has used to make a difference. People have gone to the front line of the battle, people who have fought against justice at all odds. I think about the forces of evil that would motivate some people to enslave some, beat others, rape them, deny them the vote, deny them the same rights that they have. It can be overwhelming to think about what it takes to fight against that type of evil system, the strongholds that's been in place for generations. How do you come against that? You can easily be discouraged when you think about the fighting, the evil forces that motivate some of our police officers to be so brutal. But many people have been warriors against racism, and most of them were Christians who got their strength from God to be able to come and stand in some very trying times. The majority of the black leaders of the civil rights movements, they came out of the church. Men and women like Dr. King, Fannie Lou Hamer, C.T. Vivian, Ralph, David Abernathy, 
They were all strong in the faith. Their faith in God is what kept them moving forward against racism. It was the same kind of faith that kept John Lewis. I'm sure their faith, like the faith of John Lewis, is what kept them through so many dark, dark days. Congressman Lewis said that one of the darkest hours was when Dr. King was assassinated. He really wondered how were they going to go on. Dr. King is gone. Who was their leader? Who's going to lead them now? He questioned God. For a long time, he was discouraged, depressed, had that feeling of hopelessness. Have you ever been there? When it comes to spiritual warfare, the enemy's biggest weapon against us is discouragement and depression. The enemy can, you, can cause us to think sometimes that God, is he really, does he really love you and can he perform for you? Does he have the ability to deliver you? The enemy can also cause you to be discouraged and depressed when it comes, when, when he tries to convince us that God is not listening to prayers. The enemy causes us to be discouraged and depressed when it comes to, to the point where you look and say there is no way out. When it looks like the problems is just way too big to be handled. The enemy's goal is to have us to give up on ourselves, give up on God, and run from the fight. Hallelujah. In our text this morning, we come upon another time of great spiritual warfare. It was another time for the transition of leadership. Moses, the great servant of God, has died. Now the mantle of leadership falls on a guy by the name of Joshua. Joshua's assignment was to lead the Jews into the promised land and take the land through a series of battles. That would mean that he would have to lead this ragtag army into some of the most furious people on earth and overtake cities that were fortified that other stronger, in, uh, uh, stronger armies couldn't even penetrate and they just gave up on. But now Joshua who's already led some, has already led Israel in some of his earlier battles as they were coming out of Egypt. But then Moses was with them. Moses was there interceding as they fought. But Moses is dead. He knew that Moses had been the key to their success because of Moses' relationship with God. I ask you today, who's interceding for you? Moses is not with them anymore. Dr. King has gone. Over in 2 Timothy in the first and seventh verse, it talks about not get, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind. And now they had to prepare to fight their biggest battle going against Jericho, a place known for its fortified walls and strong armies. Over in 2 Corinthians, the tenth chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 says for we walk in the flesh but we do not war according to the flesh for our weapons of our warfare are not of flesh but divinely powerful for the destructions of the fortresses I believe God must have known the fearfulness and how inadequate and discouraged Joshua must have felt at the time if you read over in uh, the first book of Joshua, it talks about God talking to Joshua, telling him to be strong and of good courage. 
He said that no man will be able to stand up against you any day for the rest of your life. He says, I will not fail you nor forsake you, and you will have success. You don't have to say that to someone that already knows how to walk around with a whole lot of confidence, but you have to tell those that may have lost their confidence and they don't think they're up to the task. And we also got to know that our enemy is still tormenting Joshua with doubt. Sometimes we forget God's promises, especially when we're facing challenges. But Nehemiah said over in the eighth verse, uh, eighth chapter, he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Exodus 15, 2 says, for the Lord is my strength, my song, and he has already given me the victory. Hallelujah. No doubt, the enemy reminded that he was no Moses. He was talking to Joshua. He probably reminded uh, Moses, uh, uh, Joshua, that he hadn't done any miracles like Moses had done. Matter of fact, he couldn't pray like Moses could pray. The enemy was probably reminding Joshua that the people of Jericho was much bigger and much more powerful than anything that had, they had ever faced, and they could not be possibly defeated, sowing the seeds of doubt. You can just imagine how the devil was talking to Joshua right before the battle of Jericho. The devil was probably telling him as he was walking among his people, surveying his troops, looking at their puny weapons right before they went into battle. I'm sure he reminded Joshua how tall the walls of Jericho were and the troops that they had behind there. So put on Joshua's shoes for just a moment. He was probably fearful. He was probably arguing with God about how hard this task, how are we going to pull this thing off? He was probably wishing that Moses was still there with him. But Moses is gone. The text says, then all of a sudden, as, uh, as uh, Joshua was out surveying the wall, he says, all of a sudden he looked up and there was a man. He hadn't seen that man before. He was a stranger. This, the, the strange thing about this man, he had a sword drawn. And back then when you had a sword drawn, that meant you were ready for battle. So Joshua went up to the man and asked, who's... Who are you and whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on the side of the enemy? The man, he answered, he says, neither. Rather, I have come as the captain of the host of the Lord. His answer caused Joshua to fall down to his face in worship. And as a servant, he asked, what must I do? The man, he was there to remind Joshua that the battle didn't depend upon the power of Joshua or his intelligence or how big an army that Joshua had, but the battle depended on God's power. And that the Lord was saying that he wasn't here to take sides. And what Joshua had to do is make a decision on which side he was going to be on. Because this man says, I've come to take charge. See, God, don't, he doesn't line up with sides. He's omni, omniscient, all-powerful. We have to make a decision. You know, sometimes we put our programs together and we major decisions. We kind of think the process through and then we give it to God and ask God to bless it. 
We ought to go just the opposite. We ought to give it to God, let him work it out, and then let him give it back to us with his blessing. Hallelujah. The church said hallelujah. God was for him and Israel. God had their backs. See, God has skin in the game. He had promised Abraham a lot of years ago that he would uh, give his descendants an inheritance, a land for Israel, that he was there now to deliver on his promise. I like when God shows up to deliver on his promises. Amen? Says a stranger was there to remind Joshua to stop looking at his circumstances. Keep his eyes on God. Over in the book of Ephesians, talk about putting on the whole armor of God and stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and dark forces and wickedness in high places. We are in a spiritual warfare. We can learn from that. The battle is not ours. We should not try to fight it on our own terms. First Timothy says the battle that we ought to be fighting, we ought to be fighting the good fight of faith, not get entangled with the world's activities and try to hold on to God's salvation. That's the fight that we ought to be in. He tells Joshua to take off his shoes. He's standing on holy ground, for he was standing in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. When God reveals himself, that's holy. Hallelujah. If you know the rest of the story, you know that God told Joshua to do some very unusual things when he came to fighting Jericho. When it comes to spiritual warfare, God will sometimes tell you to do things that are very unusual. What God is looking for is your obedience. The things that God told Joshua to do didn't have much to do with warfare at all. It had everything to do with worship. God told Joshua to have his army march around the city for seven days. On the seventh day, they were to have seven priests to blow horns and the men were to shout. And when the men shouted, the walls would come crumbling down. If you know anything about battles back in that day, these instructions didn't make a whole lot of sense. First of all, it was to your advantage if you could take the enemy by surprise. But they marched once, twice, seven times. The enemy knew they were out there. Hallelujah. Secondly, if you were going to go into battle and besiege a, a, besiege, besiege a city that had fortified walls, your army would normally have to spend days, months, if not years, trying to find how do you compromise this wall? How do you get in? How do you penetrate so that we can get into the city? So the first order of business would be addressing how are we going to get over this wall or through this wall into the city? What would be their first order? These would be the first orders they would give their troops. Third, in a battle, you put on your, your strongest men up front, the best shooters up front of the army. Here the priests are not usually participating in battles at all. But in this battle, God had the priests going with the army to blow the horn. Fourth, if you were in any shouting stance or if you did any kind of shouting, you did the shouting when you were advancing and had the enemy on the run. But they walked around and didn't say a mumbling word. The fifth, and this probably was the most important part about the battle of Jericho. God had his priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle. 
The Ark of the Covenant was a vessel containing God's presence here on earth. It was the duty of the priest to put the Ark of the Covenant on poles and carry it around their shoulders when they moved from place to place. And now God is instructing the, the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle. It was like God saying, I'm in here, I'm in this with you. You know, from God's perspective, the battle was already won. Hallelujah. Says, well, when the Jews did exactly as God had instructed them to do, the fortified cities and the walls of Jericho fell straight down, and the Jews marched in and defeated their enemies. God was for his people, and God is still for his people today. In this hour of darkness, we think about food insecurities, evictions, racism, pandemic. We think about a divided government. I ask that you don't get discouraged, no matter how impossible the battle looks. Be prepared for the enemy to cast out about your circumstances. Be prepared for the enemy to come at you with discouragement, the feeling of depression as if you had no hope. Just know this, that God doesn't want us to fight in any kind of battles by ourselves. We must take him into our battles because the battle is really not ours, it's his. John Lewis knew that. He was born in oppression and he died in oppression, but he got in the fight. And with the help of God, he was able to make a difference. Strongholds or racism is a big one and it's been with us. It's older than our country and it affects every area of life, racism. But it can come down and it will come down. So don't get discouraged, don't give up the fight. As John Lewis used to say, get into good trouble. I'm sure if he was here to speak to us today, he would stand here giving God glory for all the times that God showed up and made good trouble. The doors of the church are open. If you are in need of a savior, someone who can help you navigate these dark times, I would recommend Jesus. At the end of this service, there will be a number you can call for prayer. We would love to hear from you. We can pray with your needs, or pray for your needs and lead you into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope this word has been a blessing for you today. Praise the Lord. Thank you again.